1: Both on and off the field. He is Sean Pendergast. And pro football hall of famer, the general, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. Great to be with you. Uh, we are recording this on a Wednesday. We're a little over 24 hours away from the first preseason game of the game. Oh, Ryan's era uh, here in Houston. The game will be up in New England, but the era here in Houston, uh, and it's great to be with you, and we're going to preview that game. we got some mailbag questions to get to on the uh, podcast today. We appreciate all of you tuning in, downloading, subscribing, all of that good stuff. The pod continues to grow and grow, and we appreciate everybody being a part of that. I am Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, mornings on Sports Radio 610, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, how are we doing? Great. It's uh, the uh, the 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 clouds have cleared. We've got blue sky and there's happiness about Texans football. At least for now, there is. Uh, as the D'Amico Ryan's era gets uh, gets underway in uh, in in New England tomorrow night, um, we'll do a little pregame six pack here in just a second, John, for things we're going to be looking for tonight. But we're about eleven practices in, I think, to training camp for the Texans. What's your overall prevailing feeling about the team right now as they head into their first preseason game?
0: It hasn't really changed. They're going to play a rookie quarterback. He's going to struggle. He's going to be up. He's going to be down. They got injuries in their offensive line, specifically at tackle. They have a problem with depth. Uh, they got three young receivers that are going to make the team. And so they should get a lot of playing time. And they have injuries to tight in. They're settled at running back. They're settled at quarterback. Defensively, they seem to be way ahead. Of the offense because even though D'Amico Ryan's is calling them plays, I don't think the system's nearly as complicated as Bobby Slugs says on offense. And then what we know they can count on are special teams. They had the best in the NFL last season, they should be among the best in the NFL this season.
1: Yep, yeah, a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm around the team right now, too. I think that's my, my prevailing takeaway from training camp is, yes, yeah, certainly those football elements you talked about. But, man, it just it feels like there's more buzz and more enthusiasm about this team than any time probably since the Gary Kubiak era. And that's been a whole lot of fun to see. Um, so we'll get a look at all the work they've been putting in. We'll get a look at it Thursday night. The Texans will be on the NFL Network. And, of course, the game will be on Sports Radio 610. Pre-game starts at 3.00. Local time here in Houston kickoff is at six local time and I'll be on pregame with Seth Payne and uh, I'll be on postgame with Clint Sterner. So make a note of that. John, as we do before every game, you and I are kind of going through the preseason now, too. So we got to get in in regular season form. You and I do a pregame six pack where we go back and forth dueling piano style, pick out things we're going to be watching for. Um, in the game on Thursday. Hey, look, for a lot of Texan fans, this is going to be their first look at anything Texans related because they haven't been out of training camp like you and I have been for every single practice, every single snap so far. So I think people are going to be really curious as to, for two of us who have seen everything, what are the things that are that we're going to be most watching and we would recommend they watch the most. Um, so let's do it now. Let's do that pregame six-pack here. And as always, John, because, uh, because you're the Hall of Famer on this show, you have the honors, um, what is the first thing? you are going to be watching for and would tell the people to watch for on Thursday night.
0: I uh, will just point those out. If people haven't been able to come to any camp, if you listen to sports radio, six ten, and you watch and listen to the utopia football podcast, and you read my columns on sports radio, dot along with Brandon Scott, and Sean Bajani, you shouldn't have any questions about the Texans because we have everything you could possibly want in the station's coverage. So I'll start with obvious C.J. Stroud. Demiko Ryan said one of the first things he's looking for, command of the huddle. That means does he get in and out of his calls? He'd be on a communication device in his helmet with Bobby Sloan. They're new together. The, how does he do at the line of scrimmage? Really, that's important. But what most important, of course, Sean, is when the ball is snapped. How's he going to do? Does he throw the ball to the right receiver? Does he put it in? tight windows because his wideouts are not going to be running wide open the way they did at Ohio state. So we're all going to be watching CJ's drive. We just don't know how long he's going to play.
1: Yeah. And I, um, I, you know, I wouldn't underestimate, I know you're not, but like if you, people are listening to what you just said and you were kind of taking it literally from the play being concocted in Bobby Sloak's head into the transmitter to CJ Stroud and then CJ gets up to the line like, that's the truth, man. Seth was talking about that on Payne and Pendergast yesterday because that's D'Amico, when D'Amico was asked about what he's looking for in C.J., he talked way more about the mechanics of getting in and out of the huddle and getting the play call in than it was the actual execution of the play with C.J. Stroud. This is all new to C.J., you know, just to, in terms of, you know, hardcore huddling, getting under center at times. Um, you know, Ohio State didn't run an air raid necessarily or anything like that, but they do, like, a lot of stuff with the college teams with the pictures on the sideline instead of the – Transmitter in the helmet and things like that. So that that execution just literally like from the time the play clock starts, not the time the ball is snapped, are things that people should be watching for. Like how smooth does the operation look, right?
0: That's very important because if he can't pull that off, he's in big trouble. I'm interested to see in preseason what if Stroud, he struggles. He should struggle. What if David Mills comes in and lights it up? Are we gonna hear people, oh Davis Mills should be the starter? It's not going to happen, but there's a good chance. That's what's going to take place. Stroud is the first time NFL quarterback will miss some passes and maybe fumble a snap. You don't know. And Mills in his third season should be much smoother. So I can't wait to see how that plays out.
1: I, uh, John, with my first one, that's a good first one. Obviously. I think CJ Stroud is a star of the show on Thursday for sure. My first one in our six pack is uh, the other high draft pick for the Texans, Will Anderson. He's been a terror at practice uh, since training camp started, really going back to OTAs and minicamp. that's just a terror as you can be without pads on, you can see it translating for Will Anderson in practice. I am most excited to see, maybe as much as CJ Stroud, to see if practice Will Anderson translates into game Will Anderson. He's listed as a starter on the depth chart, so they're making no bones about the fact Uh, that he is going to be one of the fixtures on this defense, not just this season, but hopefully many seasons moving forward. I am super excited to see number 51 and see if all the havoc that he's been wreaking in practice um, throughout the last few weeks is something that New England feels on Thursday night.
0: And he's told us he was up to 260 because he's been going to be getting into a lot of big linemen who are going to be trying to block him. He'll get double-teamed. And he's to help Jonathan Ginnard big time, and then Jerry Hughes is going to turn 35. I'm guessing we'll see Jerry in passing situations this season. Um, I can't wait to watch Anderson. He's top defensive prospect in the draft. A lot of people had him as the best prospect in the draft. He was a superstar in one of the two big biggest programs in the country. I think he's going to be the first double-digit sack guy. For the Texans since JJ Watt in 2018 when he had 16.
1: All right, so we got CJ Stroud for you, Will Anderson for me. John, who's your second one in the six pack?
0: The wide receiver, the young wide receiver. John Mechie didn't play as a rookie, second round pick. He had leukemia and recovering from a torn ACL. He's healthy. He looks good in practice. He plays inside, outside. He returns punts. Can't wait to see Mechie. I'm guessing nobody will be more excited to be on that field in Foxborough more than him, considering what he went through with leukemia. And then Tank Dell, I've got a column on sportsradio610.com about Tank, and we'll get to see him quite a bit because he's a backup. I hope uh, Frank Ross, special teams coordinator, gives him a chance to return some punts. He averaged 17 yards on nine returns last year, 68-yard touchdown. And uh, Xavier Hutchinson, he hadn't gotten as much pub as Tankdale third-round pick in matchy, but Hutchinson has looked really good, especially catching the ball down the field. He was great at, at Iowa State. We watched him have over 100 catches. We were surprised he was available in the sixth round, and uh, I'm really excited to see him and the other young receivers because it's a natural thing that they're going to develop a relationship with a young quarterback. And we should be seeing these guys for quite a while. And Thursday night in Foxborough, that's when they all four of them make their debut together.
1: I think, I think we know who the six barring injury, we know who the six receivers are going to be that they're going to take into the regular season. John Uh, I'm with you. I'm most fascinated to see, how the snaps end up getting divvied up when week 1 rolls around to the regular season because that is the one position especially in the most recent few practices where there's been very little there's been very little delineation between ones and twos among wide receivers. Now some of that has to do with formations. You have some two wide receiver sets, you have some three wide receiver sets. We've not seen a ton with more than three wide receivers so far with the Texans in camp. But, you know, for example, CJ Stroud when he was running with the ones On Tuesday this week, the first set of ones he was with was Nico Collins and Robert Woods, and I forget who they had in the slot. Noah Brown. Was it Noah Brown? And then later in the practice, when they were out there in situational, he was out there with the first-team offensive line, but it was the young wide receivers out there with him. It was Tank Dell. It was Xavier Hutchinson. Mechie might have been out there at the same time. So that, to me, feels like a really fluid group right now. Like, there is – I, I, and honestly, like, if I had to, you know, gun to my head, I would say, okay, well, I think the starters – look at the depth chart like Robert Woods and Nico Collins are the two that they probably trust the most right now. They might be the two I'm least excited about right now. Among I'm probably Noah Brown. I'm with you. The three young guys who've not taken an NFL snap yet. Uh, That's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch those guys develop for sure.
0: Absolutely. All
1: right. My second one in the pregame six pack, Uh, John, I am going to go. On the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go with Christian Harris, the linebackers as a whole have been, I think, a pleasant surprise throughout training camp here. Um, Henry Toa Toa is second on the depth chart right now. um, I think at Mike Linebacker. Uh, So he's fulfilled some of the promise that we've heard Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans talk about. But it's been very cool to see Christian Harris actually here in training camp getting some run, making some plays. He's listed as a starter right now. You know he's a third round pick. That's one of those swing picks that can turn a, a you know, that that uh, the draft class being a super success or being a failure. A lot of times it's those late day two, early day three picks that are sort of the swing votes. And I think we look at that rookie class from last year. The jury's still out on Kenyon Green. I think Derek Stingley Jr. is trending in the right direction. Jalen Petrie's is going to be a Pro Bowler this year, in my opinion. And Damian Pierce was uh, a, essentially a thousand yard rusher last year. If Christian Harris turns into what they think he can be and what he's been in training camp so far this year, that 2022 rookie class in their second year is all of a sudden looking pretty damn skippy, I would say. So number 48 in your program is what I'll be watching for on Thursday night.
0: My third one is a guy that could be the third most important player on this team behind C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson, Jr., and that is cornerback Derek Stingley, Jr., Derek Stanley Jr. missed a lot of time last year. He was hurt with a hamstring. Excuse me, I had to cough. I want to watch him in man coverage. I want to watch him from the snap of the ball, see what he does. Third overall pick last year. He better be a lockdown corner. He better excel. He better stay healthy. And then I'm even more fired up to watch him when he's covering Tyreek Hill and Jalen Wattler joint practices next yeah. week.
1: Yeah, that'll be that'll be a whole lot of fun. Stingley Stingley definitely looks like his body type has changed. Not in a bad way. Like he's definitely been spent time in an NFL weight room. It's been good to see him healthy throughout camp. You Remember last year camp, John, they were kind of handling him with kid gloves because he was coming off of two years of injuries at LSU. They've done none of that this year. He's doing everything this year and he's he's definitely had some moments um, in camp so far. Um My last one, John, you know, pregame six pack, Texans at Patriots. You know, it's we've done five of them that are Texans.
0: I can do one that's Patriots,
1: right? I'm gonna let me
0: guess. Can I guess? Absolutely. Their new offensive coordinator.
1: What's yeah. his
0: name? I forgot.
1: His name is Teapot. That's what they call him <laughs> because of that temper. Yes. Um, I, two things relative to that. Um, Bill O'Brien. And who is
0: it? You still haven't said Okay, there you go. Yeah, Bill
1: O'Brien. Yeah, William O'Brien. He's, he, Billy he, O'Brien. He's, okay, when he was here, he was Bill O'Brien. When he became general manager, Seth and I would refer to him as William O'Brien Esquire when he was <laughs> – when we would refer to the GM. And yes, up in New England, he's Billy. He's once again, he's Billy O. He's Billy O Billy O'Brien. Um, two things I'll be anxious to see: one before the game and one during the game. Purely from an, enter- an entertainment standpoint before the game, I'm hoping that somebody's rolling film on whether he decides to take a walk down on the field. I'm guessing he's making play. I don't know. He he was a pl- sideline play caller when he was with Belichick the first time around because he got into it with Tom Brady on the sideline, but he also,
0: then he went up into the booth
1: with Saban. He was, Oh, with new England. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, On the the football life that uh, Belichick did. Yeah. He's on the sideline screaming into the headset, Billy. Oh, we got Billy. Okay. Looking up at the, uh, looking up at the heavens.
1: Okay. So at the very least, maybe he's up in the booth this time around. At the very least, I hope he strolls the field before the game to see what the interactions are like with the McNair's. With uh, Nick Casario, you know, former co-worker of his in New England. Close and, friend. And friends, absolutely. Uh, Laramie Tunsell, who, um, you know, Bill O'Brien made a very wealthy man uh, back in the day. Nick Casario has once again made him even wealthier. Um, and just, you know, the guy John Weeks, you know, he was in the building, uh, obviously, when Bill O'Brien was there. I'll just be anxious to see if the if cameras catch any of that interaction with Bill O'Brien. This is his first time back in the, the same building with a lot of these uh, Texans employees. So there's that. And then obviously during the game, uh, I think a lot of Texan fans will be rooting for the, uh, the great cataclysmic failure of the Patriots offensively. Um, so I'll be, I, you know, uh, one way or the other, whether their offense plays, I'm I'm rooting for them to fail in so much as they're playing the Texans, whatever happens, big picture is the big picture, but boy, Bill O'Brien is being hailed as a conquering hero up in new England right now, John,
0: without a doubt, Bill's going to go down there and shake hands with the players he knows people in the organization, including McNair's. He didn't have a problem with any of them. Uh, what I wish, if what Jack used to be was still there, I'm guessing the two of them would not be shaking hands based on the way it ended, And uh, but you're right. I As I think I told you and Seth Payne, I, I've never liked going to Foxborough. It's just too much trouble, and I've probably been there 25 or 30 times, mm-hmm. but I wish I were there Thursday night for that reason, to watch the pregame and everything O'Brien every my O'Brien does, because I'd be tweeting like crazy.
1: Yeah, that'll get captured by somebody, right, John? That game's oh, on yeah. the NFL Network. Someone will capture those images, right?
0: They will, and the Texans will be shooting, I think, O'Brien when he's interacting with people like Hannah and Cal McNair. They'll have it on their website and tweet it. You think? Yep.
1: Okay. I do. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the stuff that they're pushing out on text and social media has been of the very positive variety. And I, you know, call me well, crazy. I that
0: would be very positive if O'Brien's down there shaking hands. That's true. You think he's I a change? I don't think they'll be running anything on the website uh, when Hannah McNair turns her back on Deshaun Watson. They should. That made her a
1: hero. It did. Yeah, they should. Yeah, Christmas Eve. Deshaun's going to come over to wish a Merry Christmas to the McNair. Hannah's going to, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what Watson is. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, um, So um, yeah, Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien. That's something that is my last, that's the last beer in the six pack, John. There we go. Um, All right. We're not going to do predictions of preseason games. These are preseason games. Normally if you're new to the podcast, this is where John and I would both give our predictions for the, uh, for the game, but uh... uh,
0: yeah, I don't give a darn about any outcome of preseason games, but I would like to see Stroud, certain players play well, starting with CJ Stroud. And if they win a game, that's like cherry on top of a Sunday. You think Pierce plays in this game? I wouldn't play him. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't put him out there. I'd put Singletary in the backups, but there's no need for Damian Pierce to take a hit, knowing how much punishment he's going to take. He's going to absorb when the season begins.
1: All right, let's get to the mailbag. If you want to email us, mailbag at gmail.com. We do the mailbag every Wednesday. We record every Wednesday. Um, the mailbag, Mailbag at gmail.com. And uh, certainly we appreciate everybody sending in questions uh, to ask John and I. We've got a handful of them here, about five or six of them here, however many we can get to in our in our time frame. Um, we will uh, we will get to a lot of you cu- very curious about uh, Texans training camp. So let's get right to those, uh, John. Charles Honeycutt emails. Um, it's a pretty simple one here. What's been your favorite moment in this year's training camp so far? 11 practices in, John. Do you have any favorite moments so far from training camp? You
0: know, watching Tank, Dale make catches all over the field, whether it's in traffic, sideline, deep down the middle when balls are overthrown. I I think Tank is going to be sensational a fun player to watch. And every time they throw in the ball, I hold my breath, thinking about what he's capable of doing in the season.
1: Yeah, I when I think of this question, like favorite moment in training camp, I don't know that I have like specifically a favorite moment, but just three general things I've liked seeing in training camp is, one, the, just the energy on the defense. There's a lot of trash talk going on on the defensive side of the ball, and that's the better side of the ball right now on this football team. Um, but there's been a lot of energy. Your guy, Jalen Petrie, John, they must have a good trash-talking major at Baylor uh, because he is a, he's a PhD right now in trash-talk out there. Jalen Petrie is. Yeah, um, and everybody loves him. They do. They do. And, and I think even the guys getting trash-talked at him love him. Hell, CJ CJ drives to work with him every day. They're carpooling buddies, going into the building every day. Um, that, anything Will Anderson has been doing, I've enjoyed watching so far in training camp for sure, number 51. And I would say like the closest thing I have to a moment, I don't remember what practice it was. It was back when CJ and Davis were still splitting reps evenly, but there was a period where I, this is where I I got super excited about CJ Stroud in training camp. It was probably midway through probably practice four or five, something like that, where it was early on. CJ missed early in practice on a deep shot to Nico Collins, kind of overthrew him by not too much, I mean, but just overthrew him. Like it was, you know, it's a it's a ball you expect C.J. to hit. Um, very next series in practice, same, basically the same thing, dropped it right in the breadbasket to him, you know, and and so just uh, things like that, like just the, the overall progression of C.J. Stroud, like it was rough at times early on. He's clearly getting the hang of picking up things that the defense is throwing at him and, and making very good decisions as to when to check down. When to take shots and things
0: like that. I can tell you my least favorite moment. D'Amico Ryan's tells NFL Network CJ Stroud is starting right after he didn't tell all the Houston media that covers the team. I,
1: he, I that felt like one of those things, John. Watching the video, that D'Amico almost knew that he was doing that, like like in a bad way, like because I Oops. it wasn't. Yeah, like Pelicero was really putting the heat on him to answer that question. You know, um, I'm not saying that he. Sh- should or shouldn't have answered it I'm just saying like I don't think I, I do feel like at times there are coaches and people that that specifically give things to national media as opposed to local media because they feel like it benefits them you know that as well as anybody um I don't feel like that was one of the cases with D'Amico that felt like D'Amico like okay this guy this Pellicero guy's right up in my grill pressuring me for an answer and he like he even like inadvertently said Ravens week, you know, like against the Ravens, it'll be CJ. Oh, I mean the Patriots. Like uh, D'Amico felt very uncomfortable. It felt like answering that question.
0: Yeah. I don't think he did on purpose. I think it slipped. Yeah. But anytime yeah. you give something to a national people, instead of the guys that are covering you every day, writing and broadcasting glowing things about you and your team, it's just to me, uh, that's one reason I retired from the Chronicle. So I didn't want to have to worry about things like that anymore. Yeah. But it seems like you're still worrying about it, John. And I felt bad for all the beat people. I wasn't even, I wasn't even there. Yeah, I was on. I was driving home, and I heard uh, Landry and Lopez on in the loop tell it. And I first, I felt so bad for all the beat people.
1: Yep. Uh, more training camp questions. Uh, this is from Jennifer in Galena Park. You guys are out at training camp every day. How would you describe Nick Casario's role and involvement in training camp practices? Seems like in years past, when we were out there, he's been very involved throwing the ball around, warming up with players, et cetera. How would you describe Nick Casario's involvement with the team in practice this year?
0: I think when Nick got here, he continued the role he had at new England where we saw this when they came for joint practices in West Virginia, he was out throwing the ball around to receivers playing catch with quarterbacks because he used to be a coach and he was a college quarterback and he was up in the press box because Bill Pelichick wanted him on the headset communicating with offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, their play caller. And he did that here the first year and then last year he was in the press box. He didn't have the headphones on. If if I'm Bobby Slowick and I'm a first year play caller, I would want Nick up there. I would want uh, Nick's uh, advice because if it's good enough for Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, it should be good enough for me. But he's more about personnel, and uh, he spends a lot of time walking around the field, taking notes, and uh, and talking to talking to players and coaches.
1: Yeah, I I compare him this year, John, out of training camp. Whereas I think Jennifer makes a good point. He was very involved, certainly with Cully, super involved. It felt like. Um, I he's more like Rick Smith now. And ter- I'm just uh, hopefully a better GM than Rick Smith. But like I, in terms of just how he how he uh, conducts himself at practice, like he's way off. He kind of stands behind, you know, like kind of way, way off in the, you know, 20 or 30 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And yeah, he's just got his pen and his paper out the whole time. And he's He's by himself 95% of practice. On occasion, somebody comes over and talks to him, but he's just by himself back there evaluating. It's very, very different than the last couple of years, at least out yeah. of practice it is.
0: And he, he before practice starts, he roams, and then he settles in behind the secondary. That's always the better view. Kubiak always stood back there. Rick yep. Smith stood back there. Most coaches do that. And uh, so I'm sure he feels more comfortable now, and his role's change. That first year with Cully was just a continuation of what he did with the Patriots.
1: All right. Lorenzo, John, has a for real or Fugazi for, for both of us here. Are you ready? Okay. We're taking a Monday staple and mixing it into Wednesday here. Um, with D'Amico as the head coach, the Texans defense will be among the best in the league this year, for real or Fugazi.
0: Fugazi, come on, Lorenzo. I've <laughs> right. been pathetic in recent years. I can't stop the run. That's the key. If they can stop the run, they have good secondary. Should they have a good pass rush. But if teams are constantly pounding the ball down your throat like they have for four years, no. Now, I think they'll be better. May uh, Robert Mays of Athletic hasn't been 10th best yeah. in defense. I hope he's not petting on that because you've got a lot of the same guys starting. So, no, I don't think defense is going to be uh, – I think it'll be better. But I don't think it'll be anywhere near what uh, Lorenzo uh, is, asking. Oh,
1: is hoping for. Yeah. Well, what did you think of Robert Mays putting them at 10th? He, he did the that's he, Robert Mays of the athletic and, and he explained himself in pretty good detail for about three or four minutes on the athletic football podcast. I don't know if you had a chance to hear that or not, John, but um, but he Robert Mays is somebody who watches the film, you know, like he's clearly this isn't Colin Cowherd hot taking based on something his produced 15 seconds worth of something. His producers telling him somebody saw it practice like Robert Mays is he's legit 10th. I'm with you. 10th feels a little high. Um, but what do you think is, what did you think of that take? And what did you, what do you think the ceiling is in your mind? Like what is the best case scenario in terms of where they might stack up?
0: Well, I totally disagree with him. And, uh, I think if they could be, in the somewhere, in the sixteen on, mm-hmm. it would be a huge improvement. Yep, they're not going to make the kind of improvement they did with Wade Phillips because Wade had JJ Watt, he had Connor Barwin returning for an injury, he had Jonathan Joseph and Danielle Manning. They had a, he had a lot of benefits, but this year, um, I I think they're. Last year, if you look at opponent passing rating, they were like seventh or eighth. And that was an offshoot of playing a lot of zone and facing mm-hmm. the ball. And people said, well, they got run on so much. But well, what does that have to do with opponent's password rating? Yeah. Of whether they throw the ball 10 times or 40 times. So I think their secondary could be good. But I believe they can stop the run. Hard when I see it, in 2018, they were number one against the run. Gave up, I think, 83 yards a game. Last year, they gave up 170.
1: Mm-hmm. John, it's you know, it's funny, though. You bring up that 2011 team with Wade Phillips. And, yeah, like they 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 – two big additions in free agency with Joseph and Manning, no doubt about it. Um, but they've made some additions. You know, Jimmy Ward, I view him as like an equivalent of a Daniel Manning addition in the secondary. You know, an older player who makes some play. Jimmy Ward's been a fringe top 100 player in those player polls. Like, he's a good football player. The J.J. Watt thing is interesting to me that you bring that up because J.J. Watt as a rookie was for most of the year was very average. He only had five-and-a-half sacks that year. Do you expect Will Anderson, rookie, to be significantly better than J.J. Watt? Absolutely. Yeah. I said
0: earlier, I think he'll be the first double-digit sack guy since Watt in 2018 when he had 16 because there were no high expectations for Watt. Nobody had him rated among the top defensive players. And everybody had Anderson number one. Yeah. They would have had Jalen Carter number one, but they dropped him to number two because of the baggage.
1: I mean, it's, I don't think it's a stretch to say the expectation is for Will Anderson to be the best defensive rookie in the history of the team, um, and, and that's saying something because they've drafted guys at his position with the number one overall pick not once but twice in Mario Williams and Jadavion Cl- Clowney's rookie year. Obviously, was was a train wreck because he got hurt and had microfracture. I wasn't here for Mario's rookie year, John. You were in 2006. How was Mario as a rookie? Do you remember? Well, yeah.
0: Mario was, uh, first of all, uh, nobody ever thought he was going to be the number one pick. Nobody believed him that they were going to draft him, and then they signed him before the draft, and then they drafted him. And he was good, but the expectations for Clowney, who'd been getting so much great pub at South Carolina, expectations for Clowney, to me, were even higher than they are for will anderson jr and one reason was because of that play against michigan it was a running play in which he knocked the guys helmet off we saw over and over and over i remember a guy writing a prominent guy before the draft at the texans don't take judevion Clowney, the best defensive player in decades it should be uh an investigation it'll be a, a travesty yeah
1: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking
0: app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. And now here he is in August visiting the Ravens, probably trying to sign his next one-year deal. With, you know mercenary. Just, yeah, yeah. No, he'll, there'll be his fifth team in his, uh, in his NFL career. And he hasn't had a bad NFL career. I mean, he's been... Solid. And he was actually very good for the Texans. Made a few Pro Bowls for the Texans. But, yeah, certainly not generational. All right, last one, John. It's from JR in Austin. This is an interesting one. said, I believe the Texans front office, and specifically Cal, have come a long way in the last two or three years. It's been a while since I referred to Cal as Tommy Boy or had conversations with friends about how we wish he would sell the team to Jeff Bezos. I also believe that a big part of the 180 for myself and the fans is Hannah McNair. Cal plays the straight man. She is the woman at the bar yelling at the TV with the rest of us. She brings out the best in Cal, and her love for the team is palpable. My question is, was putting her out front with Cal intentional? If so, whoever thought of it should get a big raise. JR and Austin, go Texas. I wrote a
0: long column on galleriesports.com before it folded when I sat down with those two at the owners' meetings about Hannah taking a bigger role, and Cal loved it. It was not something he said to do. She started coming every day when her kids, her youngest kid got to a certain age and she had more time to come over there. And so she's heavily involved in a decision-making process, not personnel. You know, they talk all the time and they said it on Sports Radio 610 last week when they were on with uh, Clint Sterner and Ron Hughley. They hire people and they let them do their job. Cal McNair's always done that. Cal's problem was when he made Bill O'Brien, the general manager, and he wasn't ready. And when he hired Jack Easterby at O'Brien's urging because O'Brien's close personal friend, Nick Casario, recommended him to the Texans. So uh, they made some bad decisions on hiring people. But I think having Hannah McNair uh, out front, you know, she's the front man, Cal's behind the scenes. He doesn't mind that at all. He said he welcomes it. So I think they're in a really good place right now.
1: I think it's a great observation from JR in Austin. Uh, up to and including the the acknowledgement that for a few years there it was really shaky. You know, the team was not making good decisions. Um they've made a lot more they've made a lot better decisions over the last several months and I am completely 100% thumbs up on Hannah McNair being involved. She's <laughs> she's fun. <laughs> she's not afraid to speak her mind, which is very opinionated. Uh, very, I like it. It's good for us in this business, John, for sure. For sure. All right. Um So uh, that's the mailbag, HOUmailbag at gmail.com. John, you and I have an event coming up in a couple of weeks. If you want to tell the people where they can get their, their, they can can maybe snag one of those few seats remaining for the Houstonian.
0: That's right, John. We have a few seats remaining at the Houstonian. Go to Houstonian.com, find events, and click on it. We're taking this podcast on the road. Sean and I have done events over there. Uh, Steve Frauner House, the general manager and his outstanding staff, they do a tremendous job. I've had so many people get in touch with me saying, are you going to do any more of the hard knocks dinners? We loved them. And so it'll be great food, multi-courses, great wine, everything's included in the price. Come over, Sean, and I'll talk about the Texans. We'll talk about the Astros realignment, anything people want to talk about. And we let them get involved. We want to know what you think. So join us uh, at the Houstonian on August the 24th. I
1: can't put it any better than that. John, I saw you signing autographs out of practice yesterday. Are you going to people bring a ball for you to sign? Are you going to sign it for them or do they have to charge Uh, you? You're going to charge them an extra 10 bucks.
0: It was so funny. One guy came over and I signed it. Next person came over and then I looked up, there's a line and a bunch of them are little kids. They don't have a clue who I am. And one of them, I said, you don't know who I am. He said, all I want to know is, are we going to win the Super Bowl? I said, well, if you pull for us hard enough, maybe we will. And that's the first time I ever used we because I didn't want to say, hey, I don't, I'm not a part of the Texans. I'm a writer and a broadcaster John. and a pod, podcast co-host. So I signed a bunch of them, signed some T-shirts. It's hard to write on a T-shirt when somebody's wearing it and sweating through it. But I tried to do everything they wanted because I'm flattered. If they want to ask, I'm happy to accommodate.
1: John, here's my theory on the little kids. I think that they think that you are a clean-shaven Santa Claus. That uh, that that you you know, in the Houston Heat, it doesn't make sense to have the big beard. And even though there's less of you to love now because of soda weight loss, I think you could still pull off the look uh, if you had to with some nice big you know big red clothing or whatever. Um, and that's why they walked up to you and they weren't saying, "Do you think the Texans are going to win the Super Bowl?" They were asking for it for Christmas. Is what they were doing, and so your response should have been, "Well, if you're a good little boy, you should have given them the ho 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 treatment right there. If you're the good, if you're a good little boy, then the Texans win the Super." Now that would be a promise; it would be awfully tough to uphold, Santa. That's my theory, John. I think they thought you were Santa. Santa Claus. Here, you should sign any you know any little kid. The adults sign John McClain Hall of Fame. How do you sign when you autograph something? What do you write?
0: one year I was signing a ball that a person gave to Mike Munchak and Bruce Matthews and myself in Canton. And so I signed John McClain and Munchak said, wait a minute, you're in the hall of fame. You have to sign HOF in the year you went in. Yeah. So I do. I signed John McClain HOF 06.
1: There you go. See, I sign either Sean Pendergast on the rare occasion I get asked to sign something I either put Sean Pendergast SR610, or if it's a Jim Rome person, I put Sean Pendergast five time champ. That's what I put. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was good. All right. So, John, that's a thumbs up then. If people want you to sign stuff, you'll sign stuff at that dinner. I, I would of say for. Yeah, I know, you will. I know you will. I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, but if it's a little kid, sign at Santa Claus. Can you sign one Santa Claus for me if it's a little kid at practice? And uh, I see no. you signing.
0: Oh, come on. I don't want a kid. I asked you to outside. sign
1: my chest when I saw you signing. I walk up and lift my shirt up, and, John, you wouldn't sign my chest. Yeah, I had to turn my head. <laughs> I don't play you and Amy. All right. <laughs> uh, so get to Houstonian. Do we say all that to say get to Houstonian.com slash events and join John and I out there. We're going to have a hell of a time. On August the 24th, John, and I tweeted I... it
0: again this morning. So if people follow me on Twitter, they can look for it. I'm going to tweet it until we're sold out.
1: There you go. And we're getting close. We're getting close. Just they a few seats left. Yep. At McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I'm at Sean T. Pendergast. Big thanks to our producer, James Jackson, who gets this podcast out to you, does a tremendous job. We love having James as part of the team. And uh, he's the one who gets this out to you guys each and every week. When you click that subscribe button and you get it, Automatically, wherever it is you listen to your podcast. John, I enjoyed it as always. Looking forward to uh, chopping it up uh, on uh, Friday about whatever the results are in Foxborough tomorrow night.
0: I'll leave you with two words. Yep. Kyle, three words. Kyle, sleeping, talking. Thank you. Yeah.
1: There you go. Okay. The grand slam. Retribution for the Baltimore Orioles play by play guy, (laughs) Kevin Brown. (laughs) All right, uh, so there we go. We are done. We are out of time for James Jackson and John McClain. I'm Sean Bendergast. Enjoy the game. Thursday night, you can hear it right, right on Sports Radio 610, 6 p.m. kickoff, Texas, in the Patriots. Free game starts at 3 o'clock. we 7 uh, forward to that. Uh, until then, salutations. Have a great day, everybody.